For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Everybody, it's time to believe in the Big 12. If you're a Big 12 baller, then this podcast is the place for you. Every week, we dive into the hot topics surrounding historic Big 12 football and basketball. Guest stars, former players, industry experts, conference shakeups, hoops hypotheticals, football fantasies. You name it, we have it. And in the process, we'll look at marquee matchups, roster comparisons, coaching carousels, and analysis of big-time moments. You will literally feel like you're etched into the fabric of the Big 12. From the creation of basketball to history repeating itself on the gridiron, our take on all things Big 12 will have you glued to the edge of your seat. So whether you've got a favorite Big 12 team or are just a fan of the conference, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. Welcome to the Believe in the Big 12 podcast, a proud member of the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Believe in the Big 12 podcast. And on behalf of the entire Believe Podcast Network, before we kick off, I have to ask, as I always do, do you believe? And more importantly, for our purposes right now, do you believe in the Big 12? Because the Big 12 is epic right now. The whole national landscape is, really. A lot of amazing football games, a lot of interesting storylines. Big news, a lot of games with huge implications. Michigan stomped Ohio State, which had seismic effects on the college football playoff rankings. And just a week after Ohio State stomped Michigan State. Then there was Bedlam in Bedlam. Oklahoma State came back to beat Oklahoma. Number two, Alabama. Well, they only beat unranked Auburn by two in the Iron Bowl. And Georgia? Well, they just did what Georgia does and absolutely dominated but and then on top of all of that all of this madness cut through our big 12 power rankings like a knife through a soft cheese and again these aren't just any power rankings these are the ultra super massive big 12 power rankings and why you may ask because of the implicate just kidding we're not doing that again because of the implicate whoops almost did it again okay my bad for real this time, let's get into the ultra-super-massive Big 12 power rankings. And they're called that because even though they won't officially be joining the Big 12 until 2023, we're including Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF in the rankings. It's only right to see how they stack up and that we start pretending like this is the new reality from here on out. Because it is. And even though they're on their way out, we're going to include Texas and Oklahoma until they're officially gone. So once again, welcome to this week's edition of the ultra-supermassive Big 12 Power Rankings. And we have very exciting news to kick things off. Cincinnati, just in time for Christmas, might be about to shut the door on the ghosts of Christmas past. 
aka the college football slash bowl committee officials who have constantly denied winning teams a spot simply because they were a non-Power 5 contender. But not this time. Now Ohio State lost, which means Cincinnati has to be top four in the country, especially with their thrashing of SMU last week and their dominant victory over East Carolina this week. And guess what? They are currently sitting at number three above Alabama, and they have to take the top spot in our ultra-super-massive Big 12 power rankings. And for crying out loud, they did. And definitively, they should be number one in the college football playoff top 25 rankings, not just our rankings. I know, bold claim putting them above Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, even Oklahoma State, who just asserted their dominance as the best team in Oklahoma in a sensational win over Oklahoma. But if there was ever a team from a non-Power 5 conference that could play with these behemoths, it's Cincinnati. Because again, I've said this every week, for those who don't know, a bear cat, you know, apparently it's some sort of odd fusion between a bear and a cat. And we all know a mascot is the most important indicator of a team's chances. And you don't mess with a bear cat. Coming in at number one, the Bearcats had another great day. Not only did Ohio State lose, but Cincinnati played their hearts out and looked comfortable playing its first game in playoff position. That was the key, is that they looked comfortable in the spot they deserved to be in. The Bearcats handled business in their final road game of the season Friday, beating East Carolina 35-13 to in a quest to maintain a spot among the top four in the college football playoff rankings. And here's what their coach had to say. We knew there were more things at stake. It's great when you have a mature group and you don't have to go over every little thing. You trust that they're enjoying it, but they have to understand that to whom much is given, much is expected. Well, they rose to the challenge. QB Desmond Ritter threw two touchdown passes and Cincinnati completed a perfect regular season. In the second quarter, Ritter passed Bearcats quarterback's coach, Gino Guadugli, who had 11,930 yards, as the all-time leader in program history in total yards. Ritter, well, he's also the AAC career leader in total yards, the whole conference. So, that's really something. The Bearcats are trying to become the first team outside of a Power 5 conference to compete in the four-team college football playoff. But guess who they have next week? Someone else in our power rankings. They play Houston and the AAC championship next. And yes, even this late in the season, this is a complete trap game. Defense and special teams helped put the game away for Cincinnati, okay, against East Carolina, and Arquan Bush blocked a field goal, and Ahmad Gardner returned the ball 60 yards for a fourth-quarter score to make it 28-6. to And that's all great. But can they get a lead, keep a lead, and close a lead in the AAC championship? That'll be a really telling, telling game. But there were a lot of defensive highlights, as usual. Arquan Bush blocked a field goal, and Ahmad Gardner returned the ball 60 yards for a fourth-quarter touchdown to make it 28-6. to Bush had to say, we always get the job done. That's, that's it. Simply, we always get the job done. And less than four minutes later after that, Darian Beavers intercepted a pass, but the ensuing possession, it resulted in a Cincinnati second turnover inside the East Carolina five-yard line. Two turnovers in the red zone, and I mean the red zone. 
The Bearcats had four trips into East Carolina territory that resulted in no points, which let Eastern Carolina hang around. But they never really threatened. Cincinnati can rely on its defense without a doubt. But what I'm saying is, against the top four team, these crucial offensive mistakes that let teams hang around and their inability to get into the end zone, well, that may not be surmountable. That said, they're explosive enough to make up for it. Case in point, in a matter of four Cincinnati snaps early in the second quarter, the Bearcats went from down 3-0 to zero to up 14-3, to three, and they snapped ECU's four-game win streak. Cincinnati, gotta love them. The Bearcats wasted numerous scoring chances, and that could have haunted them, but yet again, stellar defensive performance saved the day. They gave up only one touchdown and held East Carolina to 54 rushing yards, which is almost 120 below Eastern Carolina's season average. Another solid victory overall on offense and defense for the Bearcats, and they look poised to win the AAC title. Coming in at number two, Oklahoma State, and it was Bedlam in Bedlam, and I called it. This was Oklahoma State's time to shine and position itself as the king of Oklahoma, something they have struggled to do for just about eons, and it was in epic fashion. The Sooners of Oklahoma had this game firmly in their mitts until OSU came back and said, you should have worn super glue on those gloves because this is our moment. Oklahoma State now finds themselves on the brink of the college football playoff top five. Oklahoma State also finally broke through against its greatest nemesis. Spencer Sanders threw for a touchdown and ran for another, and number seven, Oklahoma State, beat number 10 Oklahoma 37-33 on Saturday night to keep alive their college football playoff chances and stop the Sooners' streak of Big 12 titles at six. The Cowboys... They snapped a six-game losing streak to Oklahoma, and they had an answer every time for an Oklahoma onslaught. That was the most important part. When Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams tied the game on a smooth 29-yard touchdown pass, the Cowboys immediately answered with an 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown to pay dirt. The Cowboys, they'll play number 9 Baylor next Saturday for the Big 12 championship, and they've earned it. The Cowboys have a shot at their first Big 12 title since 2011. Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy was absolutely proud of his boys. He said, I told them we couldn't be more proud of them for what they've accomplished. That's the good news. But he also offered a reality check. And he went on to say, next thing is, we need them all back here tomorrow afternoon. We're in a one-week playoff again. That's a great mindset, an impressive outlook for a team that could possibly be headed to the college football playoff. Oklahoma State's Colin Oliver, he sacked Caleb Williams on fourth down at the Oklahoma State 32 with eight seconds remaining, setting off a wild celebration. Fans clad in orange and black poured onto the field to celebrate Gundy's third win in 17 tries against the Sooners. Garth Brooks and DJ Khaled, they were blaring over the sound system in an amazing celebration. And it was all party time from there. So, Oklahoma State Cowboys, number two. And at number three, we have the Oklahoma Sooners. They stay put despite a really close loss to Oklahoma State. And it's official. Oklahoma will not be going to the Big 12 title game. And it's also official. Oklahoma will not be going to the college football playoff. Losing to their biggest rival and their in-state rival. Well, this one stings and especially how it went down. 
they almost pulled off a miracle. Oklahoma got the ball one last time at its own 20-yard line with 54 seconds remaining and no timeouts. Caleb Williams scrambled and ran 56 yards to put the Sooners in scoring range, but it was all for naught. Like I said before, Oklahoma State's Colin Oliver sacked Williams on fourth down at the Oklahoma State 32 with eight seconds remaining, setting off a wild celebration. And then in the blink of an eye, and a big shocker, Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley, well, he left to coach USC. So there's that. Things really do move a mile a minute in college football. A bright spot was that QB Caleb Williams, well, he threw three touchdowns in the first half. But it just wasn't enough, and Oklahoma State overcame their rough start. For Oklahoma, the loss provided perspective. Lincoln Riley, now at USC, well, he said, I think for everybody, what this does is it makes you appreciate it. What this program's been able to do here over the last seven years is pretty amazing. It makes you appreciate how hard winning is, how hard winning championships are, how hard winning against good football teams on the road, how hard that is. So at least he has that perspective and left that as a parting message to his Oklahoma boys because I know he's going to USC now, but it was nice to see him drop that little kernel of wisdom on the way out. Now the game turned when Oklahoma's Eric Gray muffed a punt and Oklahoma State recovered at the Oklahoma 5. Jalen Warren then punched it in from the 1 to give Oklahoma State a 37-33 lead with 8.54 remaining, and they wouldn't surrender it. But one of the reasons they do stay at number 3 is because they still did look feisty on defense. Oklahoma's Woody Washington, well he intercepted 2 passes, and he had a lot of perspective to add. We just have to keep our heads up. Of course, we're going to be sad because we lost the game. But we have one game ahead of us. We just have to go out and keep fighting. And that's what Oklahoma did the whole game, and that's why they stay at number three. Well, and one other reason that I'll get to. But there were a lot of exciting moments for Oklahoma. Here's another one. Oklahoma running back Kennedy Brooks, he became just the fourth Oklahoma Sooner in history to post three seasons with at least 1,000 yards rushing. He joined some pretty good company. Demond Parker, Adrian Peterson, and Samaje Pirine. Yeah, I think I've I think I've heard of Adrian Peterson before. So, a lot of bright spots in there, and they stay at number three, despite a really challenging loss and a gut-wrenching loss to their in-state rival. Number four, Baylor. And you'd think, just like I considered, with the fact that Baylor is ranked higher than Oklahoma in the college football playoff rankings, why aren't they ranked higher in our rankings? One answer, just like I said in the other episode, scoreboard. Oklahoma is 10 and 2. Let me break it down for you here. Baylor is 10 and 2. Next week, Baylor plays Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game. Baylor is probably not going to win that game. Ergo, they will end up 10 and 3, while the Sooners sit at 10 and 2. A better record by the book. It really is that simple. Baylor quarterback Blake Shapin threw for 254 yards and two touchdowns in his first ever start. Running back Abram Smith ran for 117 yards and a score, and the Bears beat Texas Tech 27-24 on Saturday, keeping their hopes alive of making the Big 12 championship game for the second time in three seasons. And then more than eight hours later, number 7 Oklahoma State wrapped up a 37-33 win over number 10 Oklahoma, sealing Baylor's spot in the Big 12 title game. So yeah, they'll play Oklahoma State 
in the home of NFL's Dallas Cowboys next weekend. It's just a great experience, running back Treston Ebner said after Baylor's win about the possibility of advancing. He said, I feel like if you win the Big 12 championship, it's remembered forever. You have the 2013 and 2014 teams on the field house, and every team after that wants to get on there with them. And Coach Ronda, well, he talked about how proud he was of his Baylor Bears. He talked about the growth they've experienced and how they had come together following a 2-7 and record in his coaching debut last season. Just a difficult year made even worse by the pandemic. He went on to say, I think of those things, and so I think in that way, we're a winner. All of this stuff is going to be extra, the Big 12 title, because they've already come back from so much more. And that was an awesome, awesome quote right there about his belief in his team. Now, Baylor lost 24-14 to at Oklahoma State on October 2nd, but the Bears had the tiebreaker over Oklahoma because of their 27-14 to win at home against the Sooners two weeks ago over the team that had won the last six Big 12 titles. That's awesome. Now, Blake Shapin, quarterback, he hit running back Treston Ebner in stride near the 25-yard line for a 61-yard catch-and-run score on the game's opening drive that put Baylor ahead to stay. Shapin also had a decisive nine-yard touchdown pass to tight end Ben Sims with seven minutes left to respond to a Texas Tech score. So the Bears, they were clutch in this game. I don't care if it was against Texas Tech. Texas Tech has been playing some scrappy football, and this was a solid victory overall. And I think the Bears will be ready for the Big 12 title game to put up a fight. The Bears were 7-0 and at home for the first time since 2013. They finished their 7th 10-win season, 6 of those coming in the past 11 years. Great all-around season for the Bears, and they certainly have a shot to take home the Big 12 title this coming weekend. Number 5, Iowa State. Iowa State went nuts. And you know who else went nuts? Brees Hall. Iowa State's running back. He rushed for 242 yards and scored four, count them, four touchdowns Friday night in what may be his final game at Jack Trice Stadium. And that propelled Iowa State to a 48-14 win over TCU. And it set an NCAA FBS record for consecutive games with a rushing touchdown. That's awesome. Some big-time record book material there from Brees Hall. He's a junior, and he could be a high pick in next spring's NFL draft. And he's now the Cyclones' all-time scoring leader with 336 points and 56 touchdowns. He highlighted his dominance against TCU with an 80-yard touchdown run in the third quarter Friday, putting Iowa State ahead 34-7. His fourth touchdown came on a four-yard run in the fourth quarter. Hall carried the ball 18 times and caught two passes for 39 yards and a touchdown. He got four touchdowns on 18 carries. That's awesome. And the defense did their part too, like as special teams. They blocked a punt and set up one of the passing touchdowns. On top of Brees Hall's record, Cyclones defensive end Will McDonald, he set a school record of his own. When he sacked the quarterback in quarter three, and that gave him 11 and a half total sacks on the season. And he, he's the one who set the previous mark of 10 and a half last season. So, good work from the defense there too. Now, Iowa State began the season ranked number 7, 
and then fell out of the top 25 after a 2-2 two and two start. You know, that was a difficult, rocky territory to start a season on. And then the Cyclones briefly reappeared at number 22 after beating Oklahoma State. So it's been kind of an up-and-down and topsy-turvy season for Iowa State. But they are a feisty team, and I like them a lot. They'll need a win in their bowl game in order to have any chance of climbing back into the rankings. But for now, they have a solid spot in ours at number 5. Number 6, BYU. Now this was an interesting BYU victory. They squandered their lead and then took it back. A gritty effort that shouldn't have been this hard, but was worth every minute for the Cougars. Brigham Young isn't used to having to rally from behind, yet the 13th ranked Cougars were able to come back after blowing a 15-point lead in the second half against Southern California on Saturday night. Jackson McChesney's 7-yard touchdown run with 3.57 remaining and a red zone stop during the final minute propelled the Cougars to a 35-31 win over the Trojans. BYU had a 15-point lead in the third quarter, but USC scored 18 consecutive points to take the lead. Nevertheless, BYU stuck to the fundamentals. And quarterback Jaron Hall, he said it best, we just stuck to our basics and got the energy back. Once we were able to do that, it came together well and it was an easy march down the field. Most of the time. But yes, he's, he's overall right. Hall completed 20 of 32 passes for 276 yards with two touchdowns and two interceptions. It was looking pretty bad, but once we regained our composure, I was confident we could come back and get the win. That's what BYU coach Kalani Satake had to say. USC was bringing a lot of physicality to the game. We had a bunch of guys chip in, though. Tyler Algier rushed for 111 yards and a pair of second-quarter touchdowns for BYU, who went unbeaten in five games against Pac-12 teams this season. That's impressive, and definitely warrants them being on the higher end of the top 10. And you know what I love the most? Coach Satake was assessed an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty during the third quarter for arguing on the field after a punt. He said, I lost my cool. It was not my best moment, but every coach wants to fight for their guys. That is awesome. That's an awesome quote. That's why I like BYU. They're physical and they're coaches too. I'm glad we got the win. It was a lot of fun. That's what he came back to ultimately. So he kind of simmered down and which is good because I thought he was going to fight somebody. So not only did the BYU Cougars go unbeaten against the Pac-12, but they were 6-1. and 6-1 and one against Power 5 teams this season. That's why I think they'll fit right in in this conference. I said that in one of the earliest episodes of this show, and I say it again now. They can play against big-time teams. Satake said to all the haters who don't believe that, I can't control what people think about our schedule. People didn't think it was tough enough last year, and those teams are playing well this year, Satake said. He went on to say people assumed this was going to be a rebuild year, but guys seized the moment when they got their opportunity. And if I can think of any quote that's better to sum BYU up, it's that one. They seized the moment when they got their opportunity. Number six. Next up at number seven, Houston. Yes, the other Cougars. And they have a chance to do something absolutely terrible here. And that's dash Cincinnati's college football playoff hopes. After all this, they have a chance to do that. 
they play Cincinnati in the AAC title game, and they are coming in hot. After taking care of business in New England, Houston coach Dana Holgerson, well, he decided to channel his inner Bill Belichick. Happy that his team can finally switch its focus to next weekend's AAC championship game. He said it best. Now, we're on to Cincinnati. And whoever gets that reference, you're awesome. You're a true football fan. Clayton Toon, in the game, he threw for 301 yards and four touchdowns Saturday as number 19 Houston completed its regular season with a 45-17 win over UConn. And perhaps most importantly, it was in cold and windy conditions. Clayton Toon certainly thought that was important. He went on to say, It's going to be cold up there in Cincinnati, and that's something we're not used to. So, it's good to get out here and play in the cold and get used to it. I think we'll be ready for it next week. That's going to play a big factor in this. They're really lucky that they were playing UConn this week, even if it was a drubbing, to get used to playing in the cold against Cincinnati. That game might be closer than you think. I still think Cincinnati's going to get it, but this could be a unique game to watch. They had two receivers top 100 yards in this game, and freshman Alton McCaskill. He had a 31-yard touchdown run, which was his 16th of the year for the Cougars. But he did leave in the second quarter holding his right shoulder, so that's something to watch. Toon, he was his usual self. He completed 20 of his 31 passes and three quarters of work. The Cougars led 21-10 at halftime and scored on their first four possessions of the second half to put the game away. All-around good effort here, dusting up on a team that they should have dusted up on, so good job not falling for it in a trap game, too. But we'll see. This AAC title game against Cincinnati is going to be huge. Number eight, we have Texas. K-State flip-flops with Texas. And that's because Texas beat them. Rashawn Johnson came to Texas as a quarterback and then converted quickly to running back. Then under difficult circumstances, he worked at both positions on Friday. Thank God they got a dual threat like him because it was going to be a difficult day without him. Johnson, a junior, he ran for a career-best 179 yards, and then Cameron Dicker kicked three field goals, and Texas summoned some critical stops on defense to beat Kansas State 22-17. So they ended their regular season by snapping a six-game losing streak, which I am sure was a welcome sight. Thank God. I'm, I'm actually happy for them that they were able to do that. That was its longest losing streak since 1956. Coach Sarkeesian really agreed that they needed to snap that losing streak. And he wanted to acknowledge the resilience they've displayed this season and, and the, their ability to stay mentally tough and win a game like this to snap a streak. He said it was heavy. But that doesn't discount the way the previous games went, of course. But it's okay to smile. I like that quote. It's okay to smile. Johnson, the team's number two running back, he started in place of Bijan Robinson who has rushed for 1,127 yards this season, but missed the last two games with the dislocated elbow. What did Johnson do in his stead? Well, he carried 31 times, including 11 for 77 yards in the fourth quarter, which really helped put the game away. He ran for a nine-yard touchdown in the first quarter, which really set the tone. And with Robinson out, starting quarterback Casey Thompson, and during a sprained thumb on his throwing hand, and backup quarterback Hudson Card missing because of an ankle injury, Sarkeesian sometimes deployed Rashawn Johnson taking direct snaps as quarterback in the Wildcat formation. So he really did it all in this game. 
and he completed his only pass attempt for two yards, mind you. Johnson said, I knew with Hudson being down, me going in at quarterback was a huge possibility. I knew the Wildcat was going to be critical. If I had to throw it, run it, even if I had to kick, I'm just trying to win. That was my mindset, and I tried my best to instill that mindset throughout the whole team. That's awesome. Talk about next man up mentality. I love it. So Texas, which ranks number 112 nationally in run defense, they kind of messed up per usual and yielded 228 yards to Kansas State. But the Longhorns did manage to stop Kansas State's prime running back, Deuce Vaughn, on third and one and fourth and one from the Wildcat 30 with 914 remaining before making two critical plays against Vaughn. The Longhorns produced a strong effort at the end of a disastrous regular season. And not long past noon on October 9th, way back in the, I guess, early-ish part of the season, Texas was sitting at 4-1, and and they led Oklahoma 28-7 to at halftime. And then they lost that game, 55-48, to and then five more in a row after that, surrendering halftime leads against Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Iowa State, in addition to one against the Sooners. Then they fell behind Kansas 35-14 to at halftime and lost in overtime. Really, really taxing year mentally and physically for the Longhorns this year. But, as I said, good job snapping that six-game skid, and that's why they stay inside our top ten. Number nine, we have Kansas State. And K-State falls here because they lost to Texas. And because they were stopped on that critical third down that I just talked about, failing to gain even a yard with the hard-nosed runner Deuce Vaughn in the backfield. I mean, he is a serious steamroller, and he couldn't even get one yard. Just a bad way to lose. Kansas State played without starting quarterback Skylar Thompson, too, who suffered an ankle injury last week against Baylor. Howard, his replacement, well, he ran for a 71-yard touchdown, untouched by a defender in the second quarter. But... He completed just 9 of 13 passes for 65 yards, so didn't make a difference where it matters most, where the quarterback is supposed to. And back to that 3rd and 1 play, and the 4th and 1, well, Kansas State coach Chris Kleiman, he had the exact perfect words to say. With the players we have on offense, we should be able to get a yard. That's the bottom line. Yeah, it is. You should be able to get a yard. You've got Deuce Vaughn. Not, you know, it's not like it's Vince Vaughn back there. No offense, Vince. You're a great actor, but I don't think you can plow through a defensive line on third and one. You had Deuce Vaughn, okay? All that being said, Vaughn, who's from the Austin suburb called Round Rock, he did stage a good show for his family and friends that came to watch him. He put up 143 yards and caught two passes for seven yards. So he exceeded his average of 143.5 yards per game from scrimmage. That's fourth best in the country. So Kansas State sits where it sits, and it will receive its bowl game invitation on December 5th. So they have that to look forward to. But not much to be said for this loss. So they just barely sneak into our top 10. Number 10, we have Texas Tech. They jump up two spots after playing a close contest against Baylor. And this was great effort. The Red Raiders, now 6-6, six and six, they still had one more chance after stopping Baylor on 4th down on its 12, with 118 and no timeouts left. They got in position for a 53-yard field goal attempt by Jonathan Garibay, who had plenty of leg, 
but he pushed the kick wide left on the final play. Garibay, who was 13 of 13 on field goals before that moment, had a game-ending 62-yarder to beat Iowa State two weeks earlier. Texas Tech's interim head coach, Sonny Cumbie, well, he said he was incredibly proud of our team, the fight that they showed. It's so easy when things go against you to take your ball and go home, to take your ball and stop playing and to stop fighting. And if anything, these kids did just the opposite. He's darn right. And that is why they stay in our top 10 and round it out. They played a complete game and they played a really good Baylor team close. Now, quarterback Donovan Smith, he was a big part of that. He was 16-23 passing for 262 yards with two late touchdown passes for the Red Raiders, who a week earlier, they just had 108 total yards and a 23-0 loss to Oklahoma State. Also, I wanted to point out an interesting coaching dynamic on the Texas Tech sideline that the the Red Raider players had to kind of navigate emotionally. Um, Let's see. New Red Raiders coach Joey McGuire. Yeah, that's what we're getting at here. He was in his fifth season on Baylor's staff before getting hired three weeks ago to Texas Tech's staff. So that was pretty interesting. It was like, should I even be on the sideline? This is really awkward. It's uncomfortable. But hey... Texas Tech, they they put mind over matter, and they played a good game. And they have to win a bowl game to avoid their sixth consecutive losing record. So a lot of pressure here because, you know, there's a lot of pride involved in that. But I think they have a good shot, especially if they can play a good Baylor team tough. Number 10. Number 11, West Virginia. They beat a KU team that has been playing with serious heart. And West Virginia will finish its season in a bowl game. They have to be happy about that. It sure beats Saturday night inside a mostly empty Memorial Stadium in Kansas. That was uh, not not ideal. We like fans at games generally, you know, fans. So come on, get out. I don't even care if Kansas is last place or whatever. Get out there, support your team, you know. Go catch a football game. But I digress. West Virginia quarterback Jared Doga threw for 170 yards and three touchdowns. Letty Brown ran for 156 yards in another score, and the resilient Mountaineers held off the Jayhawks 34-28 to reach the six-win plateau that qualifies them for the postseason. It's not something we talked about with our team, because when we hit the reset there during the bye week, I really felt like it was a week-to-week deal, said Mountaineers coach Neil Brown, whose team won four of its last six. Now we have a chance to finish the year with a three-game win streak, Brown added. We have a chance to send the guys exiting out in the right manner. We have a chance to set the tone for next year. That sounds like a mindset for a team that's ready to show up in a bowl game. And wide receiver Winston Wright Jr., he had two touchdown catches, and Tony Mathis Jr. added 118 yards rushing for the Mountaineers, who also got two picks in the end zone from Josh Chandler Semedo in beating the Jayhawks for the eighth straight time. Now, if they get production like that, the Mountaineers can certainly win a bowl game this year. They need to give up less chunk plays on defense. There's no doubt about that, but still a good victory. So they sit here at number 11. Number 12, TCU, destroyed by Iowa State. There isn't much else to say. They allowed Iowa State running back Brees Hall to rush for 242 yards and score four touchdowns, which if there was fantasy football for college football, God, that would be incredible. 
So that was maybe Brees' final game, like I said, at Jack Trice Stadium, and he propelled them to an easy 48-14 win over TCU. But good God, just TCU letting Brees Hall run all over you like that and set an NCAA FBS record for consecutive games with rushing touchdown? That is just difficult. TCU gave up a total of 279 rushing yards. Now, they did pull within 17-7 at halftime on Max Duggan's 47-yard touchdown pass to Blair Conright with 133 left before halftime. And the defense twice stopped TCU on fourth and short situations, though. And that was killer. They can't, you can't give up a fourth and short and turn the ball over on downs. And TCU did that twice. Jerry Kill's time as the Horn Frogs interim coach following the departure of Gary Patterson, it's opened the possibility that he might want to continue as a head coach. Kill posted a 29-29 record for context at Minnesota from 2011 to 2015 before stepping down for health reasons. He's also been mentioned as a candidate in New Mexico State, though. But I will say, you know, it was good effort from an interim head coach. You know, I know they were destroyed in this game, but he did try to get TCU to pull within 10 points. And that's something to be said on a day when you were getting completely destroyed in the running game. Number 13, Kansas. Like I said, come on, guys, turn out for the game. Doesn't matter if they suck. Very sad turnout fan-wise for the Jayhawks, which must have been a little disconcerting. But hey, that didn't matter to them. They played with heart yet again, and the game was competitive. I don't care who the opponent is. That's a win for KU this season. Quarterback Jalen Daniels gave Kansas a chance with his touchdown run with 146 remaining, but the Jayhawks had no timeouts left and were forced to try an onside kick. The Mountaineers recovered it inbounds and ran out the clock. Gavin Potter had a pick six for the Jayhawks that made it 21-all in the second half. So that's some good defense right there. They were pretty aggressive. They were stunning wide receivers on routes and playing physical. It was good to see. But they just made too many mistakes on the other side of the ball, getting stopped three times on fourth down and finishing three of six in the red zone. Kansas coach said it best, Lance Leopold, said they're all learning moments. We're learning. We're learning on the run. Those are going to be great moments to build upon, and then we need to find ways to get over the hump. But I like to think some of the gaps are beginning to close, and hopefully next season we can take the next step. I like that approach. Kansas is obviously not going to win in a bowl game this season. There's no way they're getting invited to one. But they do have a lot of positives in the way they played to end this season that they can build on going into next year. Number 13. Number 14. UCF. And they wanted an absolute barn burner. Psych. It was 17-13, but it was still a solid defensive win. Traymond Morris Brash, he sacked quarterback Timmy McLean of South Florida on the final play of the game, and UCF held them off in an AAC conference finale last Friday. McLean drove the Bulls from their own 11-yard line down to the UCF 3, using 2 minutes and 43 seconds to get off 11 plays before running into Morris Brash. So they, they just about took this game at the very end but stout defense and a, and a solid tackle by Tremont Morris-Brash saved this game for UCF. Special teams look good, and Daniel Obarski's 32-yard field goal with 8.51 remaining left in the game pushed the Knights' lead to four, and they never looked back. Johnny Richardson also helped, rushing for 94 yards on just eight carries. 
It's extremely efficient running, and that no doubt helped UCF seal this game. So they round out our ultra-super-massive Big 12 power rankings at number 14. And for some of the people in these power rankings, this was their season. It is over. And next time we talk about this, we will be wrapping up title games and most importantly, the Big 12 title game between Baylor and Oklahoma State. So stay tuned because college football is about to get especially real. It's down to Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Baylor to round out the top four of our power rankings. They all reign supreme in the Big 12. But like I said before, there's a lot that can happen in these title games and these these bowl games that could really change the landscape you know for the remainder of this season and going into next season like the fact that Cincinnati plays Houston and Houston is a really has a great record and they could play spoiler here this late in the season is crazy but I don't think that's going to happen I think Cincinnati again like I've said throughout this podcast is going to make it to the college football playoff so Lots to happen in the next week here with the Big 12 title game and more. We'll see what happens. We've got some serious madness on the horizon. It's championship slash bowl season. And in an exciting twist. Somewhere over the next few episodes, maybe the next three to four episodes, we're going to start working Big 12 basketball into the equation. Because that season has officially fired up. So we'll see you back here next week to break all the college football madness down. And remember, be sure to share the episode with a fellow Big 12 baller. Stay classy, Big 12. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.